Welcome in Rose City to another edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark, joined here by Chris Reifer. And Chris, uh, there's some light at the end of the tunnel with this weather. You know, we, we're starting every pot off with some weather talk these days, and uh, it seems things are on the upswing. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. The, you, you, you're, you're getting a little Charlie Brownish there for me. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if they're actually on the upswing. We've got a few rough days uh ahead of us including for the the thorns game on friday against the rain which we'll talk about um and yeah uh you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get too far out over my skis uh on this one this this by the way is the sound of an oregonian whose soul has been broken by completely by by you know extended winter post winter (laughs) yeah there's like fake spring fake summer you know all these like weird in between seasons that exist in oregon and um this one has felt like absurdly long you know like i've lived here my entire life i'm i'm 26 and uh it's just it's been dark and cloudy for a while and i'm trying to trying to break my break my way out of it and you know get get some vitamin d maybe i need one of those like you know, UV light lamps that you can get that, that simulate sunshine. Um, you know, they, they say that's good for good for your mental health. So the other we'll thing s- that helps is vacation. Yes, that's true. Uh, taking vacations to places that are that are not cloudy uh, are always ideal. Um, would recommend Hawaii being a man that uh, went to, to Maui a couple years ago. I'm a big Maui guy. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, went to college there. Tremendous place. Oh, to visit. that's right. You're an ASU guy. I am. They they do have sun down there. Uh, Phoenix Phoenix though is not like my favorite American city. No, it it definitely has its flaws. It's very brown like colored in terms of the the scenery. It's very you know flat and not not terribly uh, you know interesting looking. It's like all spread out and super sprawled. And, and also just like nonsense. You should not build like what the fifth biggest city in the United States in the middle of a freaking desert. That's, yeah. A place that's, that's going to be inhospitable in, in a lot of years. And I think it was uh, King of the Hill. There was a quote in, in King of the Hill that said that Phoenix, Arizona is a testament to man's arrogance. Yeah, uh, and and I would right. say, I would say that's definitely true. Although I love Phoenix, beautiful city in terms of the culture um, the diversity, the food and uh, nightlife options in that city and its surrounding suburbs, uh, deeply underrated in terms of uh, places to visit in the American Southwest. Yeah, and you know, I uh, uh, the the I, I think like the the strong bet for Phoenix is that if there's any Amer- large American city that's going to sort of turn into sort of the post-apocalyptic ghost town that that we see depicted in movies it's that because like at some point we're just going to be like so out of water can't live here yeah good can't luck live God there bless. anymore <laughs> <laughs> see y'all later um and and yeah that, then we'll have you know our our first american ghost metropolis yeah that's gonna be weird honestly that that may well happen in our lifetimes yeah that that's a scary prospect it's gonna become the opposite of atlantis yes Oh man, that's that's sad to think about. Um, <laughs> we we can put on like hazmat suits and go, you know, visit the places I used to run around when I was in college. So that's that'd right. be good. Uh, anyway, on on to the to the matters at hand here in the soccer. Phoenix, city. by the way, uh, goes on my list along with I think Spokane and Tacoma. Yeah, as Spokane places that and I've, Tacoma. That I've, as as cities that I've insulted on uh, on this podcast. 
Yes, I, I think that we've uh, said something negative about LA along the way, too. Um, I honestly, but, though, feel pretty good about my list. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, objectively, it's a solid enough list. <laughs> I, I, I think that there are there are negative things to be said for a great many uh, declining American metropolises. Is that the word metropolis? Yeah, I mean, like, don't feel great if you're in the state of Florida right now. I'm coming for you. Yeah, the, well, they, they're used to time. it. Yeah, they they've kind of gotten like a hardened shell and almost you know absorbed the the blows a little bit with uh, with how much crap is spoken about uh, Florida. I mean, so. you know, top 50 state in the country. Definitely in the top 50. <laughs> so uh, the Timbers, uh, the, the, the Portland Timbers, they were uh, they were on the East Coast, which is where Florida is. Uh, but they were in New York, New Jersey, <laughs> New Jersey actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to face the New York Red Bulls, uh, you know, Tony Soprano's favorite soccer team. And uh, they drew one to one in a game that they, despite missing a, a handful of important players for the majority of the game, um, really played well, I thought, in general, uh, bet- much better than I would have anticipated. I think that um, Vegas had the Timbers winning at like plus 750 or something ridiculous. It was like the longest odds of the season for them. Which uh, I know and, nothing about yeah. gambling, but like that's a lot of numbers. And it, it and is a lot of numbers. That suggests to me that, that, that they were not liked in that game. Well, the draw was plus 425 and that's what ended up happening. So if you were one of the lucky few who was like, you know what? I think the Timbers are going to do the thing that they've done over and over this season and draw. Uh, you made some money. So, you know, good for you. But uh, overall, strong performance, I thought, from the Timbers against a team that, for whatever reason, cannot win a game at home in the Red Bulls, despite their excellent record on the road. Um, and, and they've been one of the better teams in MLS this season. So um, looking at that in a, in a vacuum, I, I think that there's positive things to, to take away from that game if you're the Timbers. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the New York fans will point out, "Hey, we were missing Patrick Lamola, a couple other guys," but you know, <laughs> the Timbers certainly, like, you know, ha- we're we're wearing that shoe as well uh, without Diego Chara, uh, without Sebastian Blanco, certainly still without Felipe Mora, um, and and I agree. I thought they played pretty well over the course of the game. I thought they were the more dangerous team, the team that was creating more good goal scoring chances, uh, even aside from the one they scored. I counted at least three very clear goal scoring chances uh, that 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 went for naught, um, which is, I, I think, something to discuss. But, you know, yeah, I, I thought overall uh, in a game where yeah, I mean, it, games with the Red Bulls because of the way they play. The Red Bull way is like can be pretty attractive when it's like Leipzig. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're playing at that level, it can be pretty attractive, uh, soccer, and it can be pretty fun to watch. I find it at the MLS level, pretty hard to watch. Um, I think it's, it's it, it, at, at this level, it is a strategy that, and it's a, uh, and it's an approach to the game that is disruptive, but not particularly creative. Um, and it can be effective. Don't get me wrong. And, and that's, you know, that's why the, the, the advanced metrics love the Red Bulls, love them. Um, that's why the Red Bulls have had some success, especially on the road when teams sort of try to play against them a little bit more proactively. I think they're really well suited to take that down. But when teams are a bit more pragmatic, and I think this probably just goes to those home road splits, the extreme home road splits uh, that they've had, um, 
when teams like the Timbers, which is in their DNA all the time, try to be a bit more pragmatic um, and, uh, and, and just try to be a bit more direct, frankly, uh, against them, I think the Red Bulls struggle. And, and although it made the game pretty ugly at times, um, it, it was one that I think suited the Timbers pretty well. And, and I thought the Timbers were the more dangerous team, uh, in general, um, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, they got the draw out of it, which again is a bit disappointing. And they've had a few of those draws this year where they, you know, they, they wanted and arguably deserve, deserve sort of an air quotes, uh, more out of the game. But, you know, I mean, they got nicked on a set piece, which like happens a lot, especially when you're playing on the road. Uh, and if you're only scoring one goal, this is a pretty basic point. But if you're only going to score one goal, <laughs> uh, you're putting yourself in a position where where you you may well drop points that you think you deserve. Again, in air quotes. Um, and so I think that's basically the story of that game. Uh, that that you know the Timbers need to be more clinical in the moments that they do create, um, and uh, and sort of their inability to to use the creative advantage that they had. Um, to really put some some distance between them and New York, uh, I, I think is is what ultimately, you know, brought them back to Draw City, USA. Yeah, they're they're back there again, um, and you know, I, I think that a lot has been said about um, about one Yaroslav Nizgoda on this podcast. I, I think I just butchered the heck out of his first name there when I yeah. tried to tried to pronounce it as correctly as Not possible. Not going to be that important for that long, so. <laughs> you said it not me um <laughs> i i thought he played pretty well yeah, in I general did. and then the the finish that he had was excellent really uh, good really good yeah. strikers finish yeah it was awesome uh so to see him get that was great uh of course you know any positive thing when it comes to the striker position for the timbers has to be compounded by something unfortunate and negative and that that was the case with uh, him getting injured at the near the end of that LAFC game in the U.S. Open Cup. Um, so let's move on to that game. Uh, it was not nearly I, as I important. I actually think we should but... dwell on Nishkota's performance against uh, New York a little bit. Okay. Um, if you don't mind. <laughs> I do not. I, w- I would like to talk about him in a positive light because that there has not been uh, much light to talk about. So. so I think, I you know, the goal is obviously positive. Oh. And I think that, you know, that I, that is exactly what the Timbers need from him. That's exactly what the Timbers need from uh, from a striker, somebody who's going to be willing and able to make the runs that they need to make in the box to make themselves available to to score goals like that. Um, it was a tidy little finish sort of at the at, at the near post, um, but it was really made by the run and by him first creating some separation between him, between himself and, and the defender. Can't remember off the top of my head who the defender was and then getting across the face uh, so that he could, he could get his, his leg in front and, and score the goal. That's, that's, that was a great strikers run. You see, re, you see world-class strikers doing exactly that. Uh, and, uh, and so credit to him for, for that. That's, that's exactly what they need. I also thought that sort of over the course of the game, he was doing a lot better job of just involving himself and making himself a problem in the buildup, uh, which is important, especially against a team that's going to press as hard as New York. Him, uh, your striker being available as as somebody who you can play through uh, and that whom you trust to be able to to work his way out of tight spots uh, and then to play positively uh, to a teammate, I, I, that's huge. And I thought he was really good in that phase. But look, I... <laughs> 
in many ways, the, the criticism of him that we've talked about over the course of the season still stood. In a game in which he played well, he still had one shot, even though his team was creating a bunch of chances. Um, and that's, that's just not good enough. I mean, you, you know, it helps that he did some of those other things and that was, that, that was good. But like the Timbers desperately need their chances to start falling to reliable goal scorers, um, to folks who can finish. It's the, I, I sort of made this point, uh, you know, at, at halftime where the, the Timbers created enough in that first half where if they had somebody like Raul Ruiz Diaz, who is ruthless in making himself available, uh, who will demand to be, you know, to be the player to whom those, those through balls that Santiago Moreno was playing, he's going to demand that he's going to be the guy that those are played to. And when he gets them, he's going to finish a lot of them. Um, they weren't going to, to Nishgoda. Nishgoda wasn't there for them. Uh, I even remember there was one instance, uh, one of the Timbers best chances when, uh, I think it was maybe Loria slid the ball across the face of goal just narrowly missed, uh, Eric Williamson, uh, for, for what would have been a tap, a tap in really good chance. It was a nice run out of midfield from Williamson, but the ball comes all the way through and, and ultimately gets collected by Nishgoda, who's basically sitting at the edge of the box. And it's just like, you've got a prime goal scoring chance. Like it, it's good that the Timbers had somebody on the backside to help them, <laughs> to help them recycle, uh, the, the, the attack but you don't want that to be your number nine all the time. And, and yes, I mean, sometimes that just sort of works out that way and he's there, but it just happens all the time. And I mean, the, the, the reality is you want your striker to be another runner. That's going to be crashing in between the sticks. Uh, and you know, that's what he did really well on the goal. And that's what he needs to be doing much, much, much more making himself available in the box for those goal scoring opportunities, because frankly, there's not another, reliable goal scorer on the team we harp on this point a lot um but but it it really is in a lot of ways the missing piece for for a timbers team that i think has the the type of playmakers necessary to to set up these chances it's just a matter of finishing them um santiago moreno he's had an up and down season but when he's up he he looks like an extremely high quality player and he's he's creating chances that are not common ones, you know. I mean, yeah, he's really he's, good he's in New York. a really, really talented young player, um, and that's why they they believe in him. You know, that's why they're giving him these opportunities. But uh, Marvin Lurie is another one that um, is showing his quality. Um, you know, when he's healthy, uh, we know what Dyrona Spria can do. Uh, he's had an up and down season as well, um, kind of a regression to the mean, as you've described it. Uh, in the past, but um, Yumi Chara is another, and then Sebastian Blanco, uh, when he is is in form, which hasn't really happened yet this season, he's kind of in that that tough late stage career situation. Um, but when he's in there, I mean, he is creating tremendous chances. It's just there's there's really never anybody running with him that you're like, oh man, here he comes. You know, there's there's no major danger. Uh, and until Felipe Mora comes back, um, there really won't be unless, uh, Nathan Fogasa becomes the answer as, as we have, uh, jokingly, uh, described him, but he is the answer. He, he may be I the know. answer in the starting lineup for a little while, but he may be. And, and that's a good segue because in the game that, uh, may have sparked, that was, uh, the LAFC 
game in the U.S. Open Cup. Um, Timbers lost 2-0, um, rotated a lot of guys in there. Um, so, you know, it, it they were kind of trying, but not really. And then, you know, Geo puts in the 65th minute uh, three big guys in there uh, in Nizgoda, Blanco, and, and Yimichara. And then in the 88th minute, down 2-0 with the game pretty much over, uh, Nizgoda pulls his groin. And we don't know the severity of that just yet. I plan to go out to Timbers training today. We're, we're recording on Thursday um, to to find out a little more. Um, but there is a chance that uh, in, in Providence Park this Saturday that the answer, Nathan Fogasa, makes his uh, debut for, for the team as, as a starter in an MLS game, on um, an MLS regular season game, I should say. Uh, so this will um, potentially be a big test for him to, to see what he's made of against a, a full squad in a game that counts. What did you think? Uh, I'm going to just punt this right back to you to start. What did you think of the overall approach uh, that Geo took? Obviously, they, they rotated pretty heavily uh, in, in their starting lineup. Uh, you know, only a few sort of regular starters in, in the 11. Um, and then sort of, and then sort of loaded up their bench with a lot of their regulars to, to bring in late in the game. What did you think? I mean, we talk about this every year with open cup, it seems like, or at least every year in which open cup is played, (laughs) which has been a few years. Uh, but what did you think about that general approach? Do you think they should have been more aggressive? Do you think they should have been less aggressive and, and, and not even brought on the starters late? Uh, what was your, what was your take there? I, I think it was fine in general. Um, you know, I, Hindsight is twenty twenty, and so when you see a guy that's a, a regular starter get injured, you're like, "Oh, why the heck was he out there?" Um, but at the same time, they they could have afforded to take those guys off late too. Um, it it's I I don't mind the strategy, you know, when you're in a situation where you're you're clawing back, and it worked in some respects. Their their attack kind of woke up a little more when they put those guys in the game. Uh, it was the fresh blood that they needed to to try and get a, a the game level uh, and push it into extra time. But I don't know. I I think they would have been fine just you know letting it be two zero at that point and not plugging those guys in. You know, waving the white flag because in general when you're when you're rotating as heavily as the Timbers were, which was more so than than I thought LAFC was. Um, you're you're seeding a, a certain amount of leeway for your opponent a little bit there, and and I think they they definitely could have afforded to you know take it a little easier uh, in terms of this game. Yeah, you know, in many I thought again the the Timbers deserved for that not to be a two zero game. I, I didn't think you know in the first sixty minutes uh, it was a two zero game sort of in the way it played out. I think the Timbers played okay, uh, and and you know in terms of chance creation, we're probably on more or less equal footing. They mismanaged a couple second balls on set pieces. Uh, and, and LAFC took advantage of that. Uh, you know, Mamadou fall seems to just be like the, uh, the thorn in the timbers side He's a good player. He's a timbers killer. Yeah. But he's like, an know, absolute <laughs> timbers killer. He's got what, what yeah. two goals and an assist, uh, in two games against the timbers now, uh, in all comps this year. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a challenging matchup for them right now. But, but, you know, I mean, otherwise I thought the timbers played pretty well. Um, and they were very much in the game against, uh, an LAFC side that I agree had 
had a couple more, you know, guns in the lineup than, than the Timbers did. Um, and so credit to, to those folks, uh, to those players who came in and put in a shift. Uh, I think David Ajala, especially as the game went along, I thought he, he, he grew into the game and, and, and played pretty darn well. Um, uh, I like as, his game. as the game progressed. I really I, do too. I, yeah. I, I think he's a guy that has a lot of, a lot of potential, you know? Yeah. And th- that's the reason why he's getting in there at 19 years old is because they, they see this, they see those like unreal takes from just outside the box that he sometimes does where how the heck did that curve on, on frame? I mean, it showcases his, his real raw skill and potential. I think. Yeah. And, and the passing range is elite in MLS, even at 19, the passing range is elite. Uh, that left foot is a weapon. Uh, and the Timbers are doing, don't get me wrong. The Timbers are doing exactly the right thing by not throwing him into the fire by letting him get comfortable, uh, by not sort of having him be uh, a, a regular or even sort of frequent starter um, at this point. They're, so they're bringing him him along in exactly the right way. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year he is a more regular fixture in the team. I, d- I still think he's he's better as a six as he played at the end of the game uh, than he is as a, a, a box-to-box player. Um, just because I think it's easier as a six to really take advantage of that passing range than it is as, as an eight, uh, when you're kind of in the, in the thick of the battle, uh, in possession a bit more. Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, then there's an, an obvious sort of just positional issue with Diego Chara. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see more of him as the season goes along, because I, I, I love what he has, uh, what he brings to the field. Um, and think he may end up being a real player, uh, maybe even uh, a good enough player that he's not here for all that long. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> once he breaks in, uh, because he he looks like the kind of guy who could very well be, uh, you know, a top five European league kind of talent. Um, uh, a <laughs> little bit of an aside there. Um, uh, but yeah, I you know I I thought the Timbers played okay, but once they went down to zero, I do think the the more sensible criticism is why did you even bring the starters in anyway? I mean the game was kind of away. Now that's a, I I I think the counter argument is there was probably some, still some game there to be played. I mean it looked like there were chances to be had against LAFC. Um, it wasn't an, a crazy thought that the Timbers could uh, dig out of that hole because it was a competitive game. It wasn't a two zero game in which they were just getting crushed um, by any means. Uh, and so, you know, maybe the game was still there, but, uh, you know, I, I think if there's a criticism, it's that they were a little bit too aggressive. I, the way I approach these open cup games, especially these early round games is I think if you draw home games, uh, and you don't have sort of gnarly travel windows around them, um, they make sense to go for because it's the, you know, it's what five wins and you get into CCL. (laughs) Right. Uh, five wins and you're into Conca champions, five wins and, and you have a trophy. Uh, and so I, I, I think if you sort of get the right draws, uh, it makes sense to go for them. If you draw a difficult away game early in the tournament and you have a, and you have bad travel around it, which is all of what the Timbers had, they sort of had the perfect storm of, of bad conditions. I, I think it's a sucker's bet. Because even if you go for it, the costs of doing so are pretty significant. Um, and you very well, like you're probably going to lose anyway, <laughs> uh, just because you're traveling in from New York, right? You have this extended road trip. Uh, you're playing a good LAFC team on the road. Um, I think it's a bit of a sucker's bet. Uh, and, and there's, and the cost benefit analysis just doesn't pencil out, 
uh, for for you know really throwing a bunch of resources at it. The, I, it's a it's a problem that I have just with the the way the tournament works. Um, I think the tournament leaves way too much up to draws, uh, up to the draw. Uh, and you know, I mean, if, if, if you're the timbers and you're thinking, okay, you know, maybe we do pour some resources into this game. Maybe we go and win it. We've won at LAFC before this. I mean, just watching the way the game played out, if they played their starters probably could have won that game, uh, uh, from the, from the outset, then what do you get? Okay. You go into the round of 16. Oh, and by the way, you get another coin flip to determine whether you're home away, who you're going to play all of that stuff again. Um, and so it can be like kind of a Pyrrhic victory (laughs) because, all right, what if in that window, once again, you get drawn and you have to go play at LA galaxy. Uh, did they win? They did win. Uh, they, they beat Cal United strikers or something, some ridiculously named club like that. Oh, (laughs) just (laughs) a local men's league down there. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Uh, it was three, two though. Like they had to come back to it. Yeah. No, let's, let's, uh, let's not disparage California United strikers. Yeah. uh, Too too much. They, they held, yeah, pretty stupid, but they, they held, uh, held their own at least. They did. Uh, you know, but then you have to go down to LA galaxy, say in the next round, what have you won by by taking those risks? You've won another game that you're probably going to lose. Um, and so, you know, I mean, my the way I would approach uh, U.S. Open Cup if if I were these MLS teams is if you get a good draw, go for it uh, early. You know, once you get to the quarterfinal or something like that, I think all bets are kind of off and you just have to go for it because you're close enough to a trophy that, that it's justifiable. Um, but these early round games, if you draw a tough road game, I don't think there's a whole lot to win. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I think there are ways the U S open cup could change, uh, that would change that calculus and make the, uh, the tournament more competitive, uh, and, and make, make it so that teams want to, to compete in it more. Um, but I mean, U S soccer doesn't seem to really care. <laughs> so <laughs> there you have it. So, uh, you know, I, I, overall, I, I, I think the approach makes in broad terms sense, uh, and if there's a criticism, it's that, you know, maybe down to zero in the 60th minute, they shouldn't have put uh, some of those starters on because, you know, I'm not sure that even even the cost benefit analysis of those 30 minutes at that point uh, pencils out. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's something that they're probably happy to wash their hands of and just move back into the to the stuff that that counts uh, a little more to them and, and the more urgent issues that they need to address within the confines of, of MLS season, because uh, we're pretty much at the one third mark here and, and it stops at this point being, you know, how you start a season and it starts just being your season. Right. And uh, the Timbers have a ton of draws, many of which could easily have been victories uh, and that would have them in a far different place in terms of the, the Western Conference standings, because as it normally is, it's it's pretty bunched up in general. Um, you you look at a side like Austin FC, uh, they're they're a, a team that, uh, for all intents and purposes, most would would say are around the level of the Timbers in terms of the the personnel that they have, but they've in this early going been able to yield positive results despite um despite the situations they've been in uh, and they have a much better obviously goal differential than the timbers do um they're they're a side that you know their fans feel disrespected because a lot of you know soccer journalists have 
have kind of been like, oh, they're overperforming. Uh, but I look to them as one a team that is kind of overperforming, and they're an example of someone that the Timbers uh, can look to as like, oh, that could have been us, you know. Uh, despite the circumstances, we could have been overperforming because we've had these games like the New England Revolution game, like a bunch of the other draws. The game, that, the that game at had. LAFC, uh, the game against RSL at home. I mean, those those all could have and should have been wins. Yes, and and that's. That alone, those three six games that we right just there. talked about, six points, which uh, if, if you take a look at the standings right now. That would have them in playoff position. That would have them in playoff position. And, and you know, right now they're sitting at 10th with 12 points. Uh, you add those six points in, they're fifth, right? So, um, you know, I, I think LAFC is the team to beat. And, and they've, they've shown themselves to um, have a level of depth and talent that, that is – really uh not matched right now in in a in a pretty heavily parodied if that's a word western conference <laughs> um you know there's a lot of parody there is basically what what I'm saying and and um there's room for the timbers to to do what they did last year and make a second half run and and get their way up the standings and and be hot at the right time it's going to take some moves for sure which we know uh, they're going to try to do at the very least make some moves this summer, um, but this is just kind of that weird stage until until Moore uh, is back, and then even when he is back, as you've noted, uh, they're going to have to you know fold him back in, and it's going to take a while. And Geo is no no rush when it comes to to bringing guys back in, so we'll see how these next few months go. But um, in terms of the Portland Thorns, uh, they they have not uh, played in a while. They um, had their game against uh, the North Carolina Courage moved to August, uh, so they did not play last Saturday, uh, and they will be playing on Friday against OL Rain for the fourth time <laughs> so far since yeah. since things got going here. There was one preseason game, the tournament at Providence Park. Uh, fourth game had in two, three months against them yeah fourth and three months against them so the, the the two in the challenge cup and now this one's the fourth um you know that's a familiar face and it's a it's a fun rivalry and should be an exciting matchup between two teams that i think are going to end up being among the best in nwsl this season um you know there there hasn't really been a team and and you know there haven't Portland has not played a lot of different teams yet because they they had their little group with two expansion teams in it uh, in the Challenge Cup, but uh, there hasn't been a team that's that's held serve with Portland quite the way that OL Reign has in all of their matchups so far, uh, main, particularly the ones that have counted in, in the Challenge Cup. Um, this is a, this is a fun rivalry, and I, I think should make for a competitive game on Friday uh, and and the potential return according to Reen Wilkinson of Becky Sauerbrunn which uh, has gotten a lot of hype on on the Twitterverse uh, among U.S. women's national team fans and uh, Thorns fans and everybody else so looking forward to to that game this Friday for sure yeah it's you know I mean the think back thinking back to the the Reigns last visit to Portland in the Challenge Cup um and it, it was it was the, one of the Thorns' better performances. Uh, they didn't do a great job of, of sort of ripening and finishing their chances. Obviously, they lost 1-0. Um, but they really controlled that game. 
uh, and and I thought the, in the opener against uh, against Seattle, OL rain. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in the opener up in Seattle, uh, I got the geography right at least. Yes. Um, uh, the, I, I thought the thorns were, were on even footing. And so I agree. I, I think this OL rain team, you know, their, uh, their record speaks for itself. They are certainly among the favorites, uh, in NWSL this year, as I think the thorns are reasonably in that group. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, e- even though the thorns have a lot more turnover from season to season, uh, and, and I think have a few more questions, this is exactly the kind of game that is, uh, that is a great test. It's a, it's a test that they've, I think passed a couple times before in, in their previous games against the rain, uh, but not with flying colors and they haven't gotten the result out of it yet. And, and that's, that's obviously the the task before them. Now I will pause though, to say, it, look, I mean, it, it, it's a small league on, in relative terms. It's not like there are 30 teams, um, but it feels like a bit too much uh, in, in terms of playing against the rain. Uh, we, th- this has been a conversation that's, that's been had, uh, about the, the Timbers and the Sounders, uh, especially when they were playing three times in MLS, they would always play an open cup, um, where, you know, r- rivalry games are special because they're special. Uh, and when you're having, and when you're playing rivalry games multiple times a year, you know, several times a year, uh, and it's not the last time they're going to see the rain either. Uh, and so what they're going to, they're going to play the rain. I mean, especially if you consider play the, the playoffs a half dozen or more times this year. <laughs> Um, that's, I, I do think it's too much. Um, and, uh, and you know, a a lot of that is just a matter of needing to grow the league. Maybe there's some format questions that that they should be asking, um, about whether that's really a desirable outcome to have a sensible rivals playing, you know, a small season of games against each other. Um, but, uh, but it does feel like, like it's too much. And I think that's something that they should be conscious of going forward. Right, and and I think most fans will not have really watched um, many of the of the games between these two teams yet, just because they've been really you know holed in on streaming services. But um, th- this will be the one that that much more people will watch because it's going to be on CBS Sports Network. Um, I think that's great for for NWSL to get more um, attention in that way, and and. They've been on. They've got some on main CBS this season. The Thorns don't, but uh, NWSL does in general. Uh, I've kind of got a little gripe about that generally because you know if if you're going to showcase the the greatness of NWSL, I feel like yeah, at the very least have to have one Thorns home game in there, right? You know the the most passionate fan base in the league, uh, the best team year in and year out for the most part. Um, it's odd to me, you know, I, they're, they're showing the San Diego wave FC on, on the main CBS channel, I think multiple times. And, you know, Alex Morgan is who she is. She's a major draw. Uh, but it gives me the feel of like, you know, putting like the 10 games under 500 Lakers on ESPN 15 times during an NBA season. And then, um, you know, the, the Suns who are having a great, season for the jazz the jazz or the, the team that always yeah not, yeah not to go back to phoenix uh <laughs> and reopen that whole discussion the yeah, jazz are the team that always get just like hosed even though they've consistently been excellent true they they're probably going to blow it up though but that's a discussion for an nba related podcast that's right uh, rudy gobert and donovan mitchell cannot coexist uh so anyway um 
you know, it's it it kind of sucks that they're not going to get on CBS main this season, uh, at least as of now. But um, it, it is, I think, great that the Thorns have also added some Fox 12 plus games uh, in the way that the Timbers have for all of their games. There's a handful of them that are going to be on Fox 12 plus this year. And you can look on the Thorns website for additional info about that. Um, I think exposure in general is very important. Um, and, and I think that um, all the things that are, you know, justifiably upsetting about what's been going on with Portland soccer lately. Um, I think a, a joy that can be found within that prism is the fact that the thorns are really good and are super fun to watch and frankly have a lot of high character individuals playing for them and coaching them. And uh, I, I think Karina LeBlanc in the front office is another person who uh, is to be admired. So um, if, if you're looking for, for that level of positivity and looking for joy out of sports, which is not always the case, sports can be, you know, frustrating and they can be kind of depressing. Um, I, 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 you look no further to me than the thorns, you know, at, the, at the, this stage. So um, exciting to, to see them get a chance to be a, you know, on a little more of a national spotlight on this Friday's game. Moving back on the field, so you you mentioned that Sauerbrunn's going to be coming back. Probably unreasonable uh, to think that she's going to be stepping right back into the starting 11 and playing 90 minutes. So this is more of a discussion a couple weeks down the road uh, than uh, than immediately. But how do you think they they work her back in? Uh, they've had some success uh, with Kelly Hubley and Emily Mengus in, uh, in, in the middle of the back line. Uh, what do you think the Thorns do? Do they go back uh, to that three-player back line? Uh, and and play all three of them, uh, or or does one of them get dropped? Uh, I think they they would like to probably play all three of them. Um, it, it's just going to be a matter of working Becky back into the fold. Um, she she's a veteran player who uh, you know when you're at that stage in your career, you want to be a little more careful in terms of your approach to returning to the field. So um, you know they'll they'll be careful with it for sure. Uh, but but Reen seemed really excited and and you know positive about the way things are progressing for becky she's she's been training in full for the most part and um yeah she's she is who she is she doesn't get all of the hype and attention on social media when when something is mentioned about her by accident she's somebody who um as you said last week if you don't know who becky sauerbrunn is and you're listening to to this podcast, you know, what, what, what are you doing? Use, use the Google <laughs> machine. She's, she's awesome. Um, and, and that just adds another person into the fold. You know, this is a, um, you know, not to gush on, on the thorns, but they, this is a really deep and, you know, m- talented team of mixed with veterans and super young, talented players. Um, and, and they're exciting. And to, to add someone like that into the fold is great. Um, I believe Crystal Dunn's due date is this month. Uh, and so, you know, congratulations to them. Congratulations to them whenever that uh, amazing thing happens. I also have to give a shout out to my best friends, uh, Mitch and Hannah, who are currently at the, uh, at the hospital uh, welcoming, uh, hopefully a, a healthy and happy daughter into the world. Uh, nice. So, so good for them. Um, I will be keeping good things up. are still happening in the world. Yes. Good it doesn't thing, always uh, feel like it, but, <laughs> but there are still good things happening. 
look at this. We we found ourselves a little, you know, zen positive moment here on the pod. I think it's it's important we Babies we made t- in Portland. Yeah, babies are new, being new made in Portland. Yes, there's. <laughs> I'm not going to have one every week. I don't know enough people that are <laughs> that are like on the verge Just, of giving birth. But you know, um, either way, it, it beautiful positive things are happening in in this cold dark world. So let's let's enjoy those, shall we? Yeah, and you know, more on the subject of the thorns, they're a lot more gushable than that than the timbers are. Uh, I think there's a lot more to be excited excited about. Uh, from the thorns end. And I, I, you know, I didn't think that was obviously going to be the case, uh, over the, you know, coming into the season. Um, uh, but both in, in preseason and I think I've decided that I'm going to call challenge cup, like anti-season. It's like, it's like, it's like more than preseason, but it's not the season yet. So you got like preseason, you've got anti-season and then you've got the season. Oh yeah. We are now in the season. Uh, but between preseason and anti-season, uh, I, I, I think they've shown, a lot more than I was expecting. And, 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 and there's a lot more to gush over um, and, and to be excited about still some things to figure out, including how I think they're going to shape up. Because I do think going back to that, to the, to the three player back line uh, just, just opens up some questions about how they're going to shape up the rest of the team. I do. I agree with you that I think that's the most likely way to go. I think that's the way I, I mean, I, I think those are three of your better players. And so I think you leave them on the field. Um, and, and that also just has the potential to be a really formidable back line, um, that could, that could be a genuine strength for the team. Um, and so, you know, it, it's another question for Reen Wilkinson to figure out, but I mean, she's nailed a few questions so far, so I don't see why, why, uh, that wouldn't be the expectation going forward. Yeah, I've I've got a feeling that uh, Sophia Smith's going to be up for this game too because she she's back uh, pretty much a hundred percent from my understanding. Um, she played the second half and first touch nailed a beauty in the in the opener against Kansas City. So must see TV. Um, yeah, must see TV. Or like us, if you're going to be there, must see in person. In person, yeah. Yes. So um, that that'll be be a fun one to watch for sure. Uh, so that's that's Friday, seven p.m. at Providence Park. Timbers are Saturday, 7 p.m. at Providence Park as they host uh, Kansas City, uh, sporting Kansas City as opposed to to the Just regular, regular version. Kansas City, yeah. which is which is a shame because the Wiz, the Wizards, um, that was a good name, <laughs> and and they had to make themselves like sporting CP uh, by being sporting Kansas City for no reason at all. Um, yeah, it's I, like, they should they should be sporting Kansas City strikers. I think if they, they just lean into it. <laughs> Look, I in general the the you know trying to copy the European team names thing with MLS is really gimmicky and weird to me. It always I'm, the Real Salt Lake thing and the sporting sporting Kansas City. You know yeah. that's like, come on. What about the, Salt Lake is royal? <laughs> Name one thing about Salt Lake that is royal. Uh the the majesty of the the natural of the Wasatch Front. Of, yeah, of the Wasatch Front. Yeah, sure. Let's let's call that regal in some respects, but I don't know, man. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I no, just, I, 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 I agree. I don't get and it. I yeah. think I think you have I mean, I also think if you look around the league, the teams that have not gone that way have had an easier time have had an easier time of sort of carving out their brand and, and, and sort of making themselves recognizable. Um, I think 
Portland and Seattle and Vancouver, uh, Vancouver less so, but just because they've had other issues in their club. Um, but Portland and Seattle are certainly among the primary examples of that. The LA galaxy, um, are a recognizable brand. Uh, a lot of that of course is because of David Beckham, but uh, you know, a lot of that is because they have a recognizable name. Um, and, and I think like seemingly every club that now comes into the, the league, those that make themselves Charlotte FC sort of put themselves at a, at a disadvantage in terms of establishing themselves as, as not just a, a team that's going to be recognized locally, because I think any team will be, but a team that sort of carves out an identity that, that, that goes beyond just sort of their, their immediate market. Oh, this is a bit of an aside. <laughs> sure. But yeah, I, I, I agree entirely. I think it's dumb. And I, and I think you even see teams with Kansas city being, I think the, the, the primary one, um, that have sort of undercut their own brand. Some of those old whiz jerseys were awesome. Awesome. They had like the technicolor rainbow. It was, it was phenomenal. And you talk about a team that has had some success on the field, uh, and really could be sort of like parlaying that into a genuine identity. Casey is it. Um, and instead they, they, they decided to be sporting Kansas city for reasons that, that are, that are unknown. I mean, yeah. you know, because, because some can consultant firm said, yeah, you should try to be more European. Right. And, and I don't think that MLS should try to, to do that. I think they should aspire to be on the level of, you know, the soccer that's played in those leagues or the football. But, um, in general, I think I, I liked, you know, I didn't watch it, but I, when I, when I look at clips from old MLS, I, I like the kind of gimmicky aspects of it that that made it American. You know, there there are certain like we we talked about the the shootouts where yeah the thirty five yard penalties yeah yeah those those were funny. Um, but the jerseys, you know, I mean, you watch old clips of Gio Savarese, uh, some of the, the as a jerseys, metro star. yeah, as a, as a the New, New York, York metro New Jersey star. metro stars. I know that's that's, that's perfect name to that, me. That, that, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I you know I I, I think. And I think the overall point is that, yes, they need to continue building the soccer. And that is that is job number one. Build the soccer. If the soccer is good, the eyeballs will follow. Um, sort of build it and they will come kind of uh, k- kind of thing. Um, but, you know, if you, if you just stipulate to the fact that they are not going to be on the same level as the Premier League or, you know, Bundesliga or La Liga or Serie A, <laughs> or Ligon, or, you know, you could probably continue going down the list, uh, but that they're not going to be on, on the same level as those leagues anytime soon. And they're not, I mean, let's be realistic. They're not, um, then does it really benefit them to make themselves more generic? (laughs) I mean, does it, does it really benefit them to, to just sort of like kind of be unseeable? Uh, in among the, the, the international soccer landscape. I don't think so. Um, and you know, I mean, that that's, that's not to discredit the success that the league has had in growing. It has. And I think you see signs of that all over. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it is, uh, a good thing for the league, not particularly well thought of in Portland, but a good thing for the league that, that Seattle won CONCACAF champions league. But Frankly, I mean, this has been coming. There have been MLS teams in the final more years than not over the last several years. Uh, and they've been close. Uh, MLS teams, weirdly, 
in the first legs of the of those finals going down to uh to Mexico have done really well. They have like two wins and three draws in Mexico. It's been at home that they've that they that they've lost uh those series. Um and and so you know, I, I think for anybody who's dealing with this in good faith, it's been clear that that MLS has been getting closer and closer to the level of Liga MX. And then you you know, you hear uh DeMarcus Beasley recently relayed kind of a uh, um, uh, an anecdote from when they were playing Club America in in CCL, and like during the game, uh, Beasley was down, uh, was down on the bench. He's now an exec with the, the Dynamo. And during the game, like one of the America players just sort of in a stoppage was like, "Hey, help me get to MLS," and that's that's and <laughs> apparently DMB was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> it's like, "Are you are, are you serious?" Uh, he was like, "Yeah, help me get to MLS." Um, that's a good thing. Uh, and that's a sign of serious growth that, that within the region, there are players, good players who are looking at MLS saying that's an attractive place to be. Uh, and I think you can, you can see why the money's reliable. The, 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 certainly the culture and the atmosphere has a lot of things that are, that are a lot healthier than, than other places. Um, you know, I, I mean, Mexico, we, we didn't talk about that on, on this podcast, but is certainly having, um, some difficulties, uh, with the fan atmosphere, which is, a shame for all of the wonderful Mexican fans who have created such an amazing environment uh, for the game in, 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 in North America that has predated anything else. Um, it's tragic, but you know, I mean, there are problems with the homophobic chant. There are problems with the barras. I mean, the, those are just issues that MLS has done better with. Um, and so, you know, it's a good thing that MLS has grown in these ways and has made themselves at least a regionally desirable place but in terms of it going beyond that, I don't see genericism as uh, as the way to to gain relevance. Anyway, this is a, an enormous tangent. <laughs> wow. uh, we have we have strayed far beyond the jurisdictional bounds of our name, um, far beyond soccer made in Portland. But uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> sure. No, it's soccer made in the Estados Unidos, um, yeah, or soccer made in wherever the heck we want it to be made. Yeah, dang it. Uh, and we'll call it whatever we want it, uh, sporting, real, whatever. So, all right, babies uh, made in Portland segment coming up next week. Yeah, more babies, uh, baby discussion uh, will be top of the show next week. You can bet on that. Uh, we will wrap there. Uh, one last note before we leave: a happy birthday to Thorns head coach Reen Wilkinson. Uh, hope you have a good one. Uh, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the pod. Uh, so hint, hint, just openly uh, pining now. Yeah. Just openly pining. Uh, <laughs> she's probably not listening, but if she is, um, you know, I, I would love to have you on. Think your perspective is always welcome. So, uh, that'll wrap it up for us here on soccer made in Portland for Chris Reifer. I'm Ryan Clark. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>